1: Welcome to New Books in Film, a podcast series on the New Books Network. I am your host, Joel Cherney. My guest today is Kyle Stevens, editor of the Oxford Handbook of Film Theory, published in 2022 by Oxford University Press. A collection of 32 essays and his overall introduction, the book takes a new look at how we view film, I talk with Kyle about how the book was developed and his process in compiling essays from many current film and cultural experts. Welcome Kyle Stevens. Hey, Kyle. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks. How are you?
1: I am speaking with Kyle Stevens, who is the editor of the Oxford Handbook of Film Theory published just recently. officially by Oxford University Press. Anything that starts with Oxford Handbook of uh, has a, a certain cachet, shall we say. So it's interesting that uh, you're able to put together a collection of essays which uh, meets their, their standards and approval. So uh, I'm glad we have time to talk about it.
0: I am too. Thank you for inviting me.
1: So We were talking about this just before we started. This collection obviously was originally supposed to be out quite a while ago, but the pandemic got in the way, which is not a surprise. Uh, I've had some people I've talked to about books that they actually wrote during the pandemic, so it pushed things through. But for most, it's it made for a, a a bit of a delay and sometimes long, you know, other kinds of issues. So. What, uh, before we go in more detail of the book, what is your background as far as film, you know, as far as film theory and film in the first place? You actually uh, are a professor at uh, Appalachian State University, so in film studies. So, what led you to decide film studies was something you wanted to uh, be involved with?
0: Well, I guess that goes back to my undergraduate degree. Um, I had done quite a lot of theater. As a teenager um, and musical theater and was doing pretty well and i went to um, university of south carolina i got a full scholarship there i was going to be a theater major and um it was doing well honestly i mean I'll, I'll humble brag and say i was getting i was getting roles as a freshman which was unusual um but i found that the classes so there was a, a professor a new professor she started the same year that i was a freshman named susan courtney and she was fresh out of berkeley university of california berkeley's program which is so great and in her classes you know we were reading freud and we were reading marx and uh it just became so much more interesting to interpret genres of texts rather than just like an individual role for me so so susan courtney really had a huge effect on sort of luring me away from other plans that i'd had and really just making me um fascinated by film and and studying film um and that changed a lot um you know this was before youtube all of that stuff so this is before even the the digital turns this is the, the very late 90s so um film film and television still felt like the place that you could go to think about dominant culture and the circulation of ideas and values kind of in culture sort of frankfurt school style um i don't think that that's the case anymore um film Film isn't dominant, you know, video games, TikTok, lots of things are, or if anything, is dominant anymore. I mean, culture has become so fragmented. Um, so all, all of that changed, but that was the original kind of draw and the original appeal. It's part of why I wanted to edit this collection and try and revitalize some sense of disciplinarity in in the discipline of film studies, because it it's become so spread out. Um, there's We've had so many years of people uh keen on studying new and different things which is great um but it just kind of leads also to a sort of flattening out so that you know because everything is media now right so film and media studies starts to just encompass everything and i missed i missed when i when i look back at the history of film studies history of film theory people were having conversations and people were having you know debates about ideas and talking to each other and i was really hoping that you know without trying to so sort of go broad and do all of media just say like well we can still study film and like how do we look forward rather than just looking back at the history of film theory how do we how do we start to have conversations moving forward with each other and try and get some depth back rather than just kind of breadth of studying more and new and different things um, that, that's
1: actually more about the book. You asked about me, didn't you? Right. That's fine. We're, it's sort of all intertwined. I mean, as I it say, is, it if it, it, it's more of those issues is that uh, what I like to do is always find out more about the authors. Since our podcasts are all book-based, you know, or the concept at least, we're starting to branch out a little bit into some more non-book, you know, some more general topic rather than being book-based. Um I know people like to learn more about the authors because many of our listeners are authors, either of books or writing, and a lot of them are academics. So it's the kind of thing where they get useful information to learn more about other people's journeys. And that's always one of the reasons I like starting with that. Plus, it often gives focus to whatever you're writing anyway. Absolutely. Uh,
0: So I went to grad school at the University of Pittsburgh, which is a really great program. I, I, it was technically called the Cultural and Critical Studies Program, and I really liked it because it was very much—it um, emphasized both history and theory, and the way that history and theory are not really separable from each other. Uh, and my my advisor, Lucy Fisher, um, is a is a wonderful film scholar and you know she 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 reined me in a little bit i wanted to do a kind of more theoretical dissertation in the end but you know she was like you know pick an author pick a pick a period pick a genre so i i did I, I picked mike nichols which gave me 50 years and a lot of films to work with so i still got to go in all the directions that i wanted to and write about sound and the close-up and silence and all kinds of all kinds of stuff which was which was great and those are still a lot of my interests my interest in performance and sound and comedy those are all sort of there, still rooted in in that book. And I'm also very much a Covellian. Um, I'm a fan of the work of Stanley Cavell, the Harvard philosopher who really is a philosopher of language but he wrote about film, though I still think that he's a philosopher of language even when he's writing about film. <laughs> um, and so I, I was very much, I've always been concerned sort of with our experiences, our aesthetic experiences, our, our political experiences. Um, so in a way, you know, after everyone wanted to talk about the turn to the digital in the 2000s, I felt kind of left out of the field a little bit because I didn't think our experience of the digital image was all that different from the analog image. Um, So I just sort of, you know, then then the the sort of turn to affect happens. And I think phenomenology and experience is getting its its due now. So I'm pleased to see that. Um,
1: Yeah. And your Mike Nichols book actually was pub, uh, Your your work with the your, for your dissertation became a book that you published through Oxford University Press. As a matter of fact, so uh, that's right. That is, yeah. that is your your that's your main book, or you. I know you have obviously a lot of writing, but is besides this new collection, that's your main book out there, right?
0: That's right. That's that's my only monograph. I'm working on two others at the moment. So I'm yeah. chipping away at them, but.
1: You're not an academic unless you're not working on at least three projects at the same time. I
0: suppose that's true.
1: But so, uh, how do you use your current what you your 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 primary focus in your everyday teaching? I mean, are you able to in an undergrad? I'm assuming it's an undergrad program that you teach in, although it might you know, you can correct me if needed. Uh, are you able, do you find yourself able to use some of these concepts and some of your thoughts over the years in your teaching?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I, I am lucky to have a lot of control over what I teach. Um, I'm the chair of the program at App State. And really it's a very, it's a, we have a lot of majors um, relative to our department. We have the same number of majors and concentrators as the literature side does but it's just the two of us (laughs) me and my my colleague dr craig fisher um which is great he's he's got just this incredible uh memory he's so wonderful with details and he knows so much about experimental film and horror film and all the things that i do not know very much about and i've got the sort of mainstream side down and the theoretical side down so uh yeah i mean i'm I'm teaching a film theory class right now which is wonderful it's one of my favorite classes to teach uh last semester I, i taught a whole course on dark comedy which was a lot of fun. Um, I don't really like to teach my own work. I find that students don't really want to engage with it and and it's it's a little bit awkward for everyone. Um, but of course, all, all of the ideas and and my my background, my tastes kind of bleed through in what I what I choose to teach, and um I'm sure are probably more evident than I even intend in my body language to students.
1: So um anyway. Uh, like I said before, our title like Oxford uh, Handbook of Film Theory mm-hmm. sounds like it, it is covering a pretty important topic, and obviously it is. Uh, and because it has uh, quite a bit of academic weight to it, uh, it's one of the reasons I purposely wanted to talk to you, because as you pointed out in the introduction, um, there's a lot of room for updating and refocusing the concept of film theory and uh, these essays that you present definitely seem to uh, to focus what you talk about right from the very beginning Um, let's talk a little bit about the the genesis or the background of the book itself obviously as we've already pointed out this has been long in the making what was the original project how did this project come about and your involvement with it. it? Was it a matter that you approached, you know, where did the whole thing work out from?
0: Sure, sure. I do want to mention the the reason that it took so long is is COVID. Um, now, some people, most people even sort of got their essays in kind of on time, and then some people really struggled to to write amidst all of the chaos and confusion and caring for parents and caring for children. And so there were a lot of delays, and I didn't want to just, you know, Cut everyone off and stuff. So yeah, uh, it, it certainly was a challenge to edit a collection with this many chapters. Uh, 30, 30 thirty-two. Chapters. There's
1: 32, <laughs> thirty-two essays plus your introduction, which of course you could have. Uh, you couldn't finish until you had everything that's in right, place. That's
0: right. That's right. So it was. It was certainly. We did lose a few people along the way, uh, and then got you know, new people on board. So it was. It was a, a challenge. I think more, more challenging even than to edit a volume of the scope in in non-pandemic times um but so i um yeah so i did my first book with oxford university press and then i've been um a reader for them you know over the years and uh, i think norm hershey who was not the editor on my first book but who i got to know um just sort of giving feedback you know meeting at conferences being being a reviewer for other titles um i think you know we we really work well together and he asked if i had any interest in in editing a handbook of my own, he suggested the Oxford Handbook of American Cinema, um, which was very appealing, but I immediately asked, why not the Oxford Handbook of Film Theory? Um, that was where my my heart was, um, because I've, I I just really felt it was time. I, I the, the Society for Cinema and Media Studies Conference, the, the sort of big film studies conference that happens every year, um, it's a wonderful conference and lots and lots of wonderful papers are given But it's been a topic of conversation for years um, that, you know, people who do TV studies think film is privileged, people who think, who do film studies think video games are privileged. That's just, there's just like so much going on and people, people don't always, um, that's what I meant before about sort of the, what, what is our discipline really, you know? And so there, there was a hand, an Oxford Handbook of Film and Media Studies that came out. maybe. 10-15 years ago Um, and you know and it's trying to include like all of those different media and you know and and i didn't want to have a volume that was like trying to do fandom and reception studies and video games and and all these things all of those areas are big enough to have their own handbooks now so really my my strategy my vision was to narrow back in and only consider film um which is kind of radical now <laughs> just to say you know what film is enough like it even if it's no longer the dominant cultural you know form of entertainment or art it still can matter to us and we can still have conversations about it so that was the the reason that i really wanted to do film theory and specifically make it not film and media theory um just because that's like i said that's just grown so large and i think sort of unwieldy in a way um and then the sections kind of came to me really, really quickly. Um, the only thing that changed from my initial proposal, which you know, I, I, I knew I wanted the, the first section is meta theory. I, I knew I wanted that theory sort of reflecting about the theory. I knew I wanted a kind of section on on politics, right, even though all of the sections involve politics, but the, the second section is called film theories project of emancipation. Um, and that's you know, ra- grappling with ideology critique after Trump. It's it's Maggie Hennefeld has a wonderful uh, uh, chapter on feminist film theory and laughter. Um, Noah Eisenberg has a fantastic chapter on on vernacular criticism, the history of writers who were not academics like Parker Tyler and Lottie Eisner who were doing amazing work and still kind of introducing theory to a wide public. Um, the third section is on apparatus and perception. That's the one that I didn't in originally foresee. But it turned out that quite a lot of us were interested in rethinking, um, technology and, and thinking about what it is that newer technologies are doing. Um, I always knew that I wanted a section on audiovisuality. So often when sound is considered, which is still all too rare, in my opinion, it's still considered separate from the image, right? And so there's still these kinds of debates is film a visual medium. Is it not like people say, you know, oh, sound matters, but then they're sort of Talking about it in in isolation, and I really wanted I really wanted chapters that that did not separate them and didn't and thought about film as an audiovisual medium um, that that I felt quite passionate about. Um, the fifth section is how close is close reading? Um, there's been a kind of move in in literary studies to debate distant reading and close reading, and I thought this is actually a really helpful conversation that we could have in film studies as well. Like, what is the value of close reading uh, these days, and what how, how close is it, like how how detailed do you need to be? Um, there's a, there's several fascinating chapters in there that I can talk about if we like. And then the last chapter is the turn to experience, which deals with um, the, the turn to affect, but also uh, several people, John David Rhodes and Scott Richmond write really really interesting things about impersonality in film theory, um, and the sort of the film theorists' personal views or impersonal views. Um, so yeah all of that was kind of the original vision it's 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 essentially turned out exactly as i'd hoped which is wonderful um yeah and and i was very grateful for for norm to give me the chance to do it
1: so how did you find your contributors i mean i assume these days you can get contributors in a variety of different ways and i'm sure you're you have a reasonably good sized um circle of people you already know and in, in um what did you do to 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 begin the process of getting useful material that would fit within what you were looking for
0: hmm that's an interesting question i'll take the first part of it first about how did i find people um on some level you know there's a as you say there's a a sort of a sort of handful of dream people that you would like to get right like people who are doing film theory that you really would like to hear more from um and so I contacted those people first and many of them got on board. Um, Daniel Morgan who's chair at University of Chicago was was on board sort of immediately and that gave me a name to drop in emails to other people right and you sort of like I but, but honestly um you know writing writing a, a friendly but professional email is is actually a skill that people struggle with um but I'll humble brag again and say that I can or, or have learned to do that uh, and, and you know to lay out your vision efficiently and clearly and then people saw like you know this yes this is going to be a good project this is something i'd like to be involved with so by and large i you know i got the the cast of performers that i was i was hoping for um and yeah i mean i'm, I'm very grateful to the people who came on board early and and made it clear that this was going to be a, a substantial project
1: going into the project you already had a pretty good you know before you got to the point of working on getting contributors, you already had your overall reasonable structure in mind as to what you wanted to do. Was there anything special about that with your work with Oxford University Press? Since this was supposed to be, as we pointed out, a handbook, was there something different as to what they wanted uh, as far as that part of it? Or is it, you know, did you find... I mean I'm a, I know you've I'm sure you've contributed to others but um, that part of it was I just wondering whether you felt the concepts that they of what what their expectations were of structure and everything else was different from possibly a more general or you know another type of edited uh, edited collection.
0: Yes. Um thank you for this question because that gets at something else that I haven't mentioned that I really um uh, cared about accomplishing with this with this volume which is that um i explicitly told all of the contributors no surveys of topics this is not again this is not a backward looking volume and and it's not that we don't engage the history uh, damon ross young has a great chapter defending psychoanalytic film theory malcolm turby revisits the the idea of medium specificity in classical film theory but for like for now for new reasons um so I think you're right that a lot of similar handbooks or, or companions, as they're sometimes called by other presses, can kind of be geared toward um, intro level kind of conversations for uh, the uninitiated. Um, and that is something that I wanted to avoid with this. I wanted us to I wanted to make sure that all the major concepts in the history of film theory Uh, well, at least the vast majority of the major concepts were were engaged on some level, but that weren't that things were being said and argued, I really wanted arguments. things were being argued that had not been argued before. And so um, there was a there's a volume called reinventing film studies um, edited by Linda Williams and Christine Gledhill about 20 years ago. And that was really a model that I had in mind, Um, I, I think that that's just it's like a wonderful collection of original arguments specifically for film studies and i don't think that we've had a volume exactly like that in the last 20 years and so i really i thought it was time for something more like that
1: yeah i I sort of figured that because obviously uh oxford's reputation is dependent a lot on education and so Mm -hmm. i'm sure the idea was that this was supposed to be hopefully be something that uh, uh educators could work with or and other theorists, for that matter, um, in a certain way. So that that that's one of the reasons I asked that question, um, because I have interviewed a number of people who have edited collections on various topics and and concepts, and I would think that uh, this one would probably have a more, you know, a, a more focused uh, concepts in mind, and that's why I sort of asked that. Now. Obviously, as we pointed out, there's 32 essays, but you write a decent-sized introduction that sort of does some literature review, but also sort of lays out a lot of the reasons for why you felt this was important, and you sort of said a lot of that already. And a lot of it is based on the idea of change. Um, As you point out, um, there have been film theory studies in the past, but... It's a topic that keeps going. I, I think the best way I can put it is up and down. That mm-hmm. your feeling was, and I think you may have already said it in this point at some point, in, even in our talk, the idea of refocusing, the idea of film study and our film theory. And I want to talk a little bit about that because there seems to, from a lot of what you talk about in the introduction, there was a lot of discussion in your mind about, okay, what's the difference between theory and philosophy? What's the, you know, why do we want to refocus the and come back to discussing theory? I mm-hmm. got the impression that you felt it was something that had gotten away to a large extent, or at least in some extent. So what was some of those things that you were thinking about when you were uh, working on the introduction, which I'm sure you had in mind during this entire process even until the finally, once you finally knew what the essays were going to be and you could put it down in paper mm-hmm. um
0: yeah so the introduction where i start is trying to sort of trace the origin origin story for film theory and that's really you know remembering its place in the the social justice movements of the late 60s and early 70s Um, when, you know, as I, as I point out in the introduction, you know, Laura Mulvey, Peter Wallen, like people writing really amazing and influential essays were not yet academics. In fact, most people doing what we would call film theory weren't academics. They were, they were people trying to participate in a whole social upheaval. Right. Um, and it, it seems to bother me, or it did bother me, it does bother me that after, um, you know th- this idea that film theory sort of died in the late '90s. There was a a book about you know we're we're now in the post theory moment. Um, it was said, and and then like the the very people that you would expect to be working in the area of film theory moved over to kind of create this area of film and philosophy, or film hyphen philosophy to think about whether or not can film films can do something like philosophy. And and honestly, I've I belong to that group as well. I mean, that that my first book, I think, engages a lot of that. Um, as, as most of my work does. That that's uh, you know, Cavell is a big part of that. That body of scholarship and thinking about you know how and whether and when do we think in images and can movies replicate this or you know do they follow how you know the work of Gilles Deleuze is a big part of this 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 set and um, and and I I like it very much, but. I was really gripped by this question of, can we distinguish philosophy and theory? Why was there never a, an impulse to say, you know, or ask, can films do theory, right? Why, why would the question not be raised? Um, what What is the value of theory and why do people seem so resistant to it right now? The chapters, the introduction title is the very thought of theory. And I try sort of like, I, I mean that in two ways, like I wanna get at like, what can theory think? But also this idea that like the very thought of it just sort of ruffles people's feathers. Um, and, you know, there was the film theories study, study scholarly interest group um, for the Society of Cinema Media Studies and it died. But the film and philosophy studies uh, scholarly interest group thrives. Um, and I do think that there there's not ultimately a way, I, I think, to distinguish fully between philosophy and theory. I think it's basically ultimately sociological. But I do also think that philosophy tends toward systems. I think it tends toward thinking in terms of truth and falsity um at its at its heart. I mean ethics and aesthetics perhaps perhaps not but fundamentally it wants standards to hold itself to. That's a big part of of philosophical rigor. And so I think it can constrain us people who want to do theory in in the hopes of participating in that sort of original idealistic socialist, social, social justice-oriented kind of mindset, right? Like the the philosophy doesn't exactly excel at that kind of speculative thinking. um, Whereas theory does. And I think that maybe some, you know, reasonably common sense argued speculation is is absolutely worthwhile.
1: Well, that's that's, I mean, it's great that uh, it was able to draw you in that way because uh, you had to find people who at least understood what you were looking for, and and I'm glad that, uh, you know, as as we start talking about individual sections that we get a better sense of your overall hope and, and the way it turned out. Now, you've already mentioned the section titles, but we we'll want to go through a little bit, try to get a better sense of... You gave a little bit of a brief description of each section, but I want to briefly once again review that. And um, I assume the structure seemed reasonably straightforward when you put it together. You started with meta theory, which is a pretty logical place for any kind of of handbook or introduction that you would start with. Would be the the theory of theory. Um, so, uh, what was your uh, feeling when you? Uh, What were you looking for as far as essays for that particular section
0: well again i mean i i found such amazing people that part of the i mean i knew the sections i knew that sort of general topics that i wanted but i gave people freedom within that um to to select i I wasn't assigning topics right um we, we were having conversations about what would be the best thing um to include and so you know. Like, for example, I mentioned Damon Ross Young's defense of psychoanalytic film theory, which, you know, I, I haven't historically been a fan of psychoanalytic film theory. So it was a really great and rewarding experience to have the editorial back and forth with him and, and you know, to sort of be devil's advocate, to challenge and then be convinced. And, you know, that, those, that was great. Um, I, I knew that Daniel Morgan would write something about um, aesthetics and aesthetic philosophy, problems in, in aesthetic philosophy, but also bring it back to, bear on the conversation of film theory which he absolutely does um brian price is also engaging the the, the borders of philosophy and theory which i think is kind of appropriate in the meta theory section um looking at what movie images can do uh, in terms of moral philosophy Domieta torlasco's essay contemplating the borders between what film video and essays and video essays can do um and, and reflecting on video essays as a form of of meta theory uh as well and, and then as, as i mentioned malcolm turvey uh has a great defense of the medium and, and returning this idea of medium specificity to us
1: i know that's an interesting concept because a lot of times now when you i mean i it's gotten to a point where i don't think i've interviewed anybody related to unless it's been devoted to a particular film. It seems like normal now that most books on the subject, film related subjects, tends to be more doesn't focus just on film. Uh, That's right. That's right. A, a lot of the ancillary and similar concepts I mean obviously film and, and television have a certain amount of uh, of overlap, especially these days given the way things are, are, are put out, but Film does is different. and um, it's, it's worthwhile reminding people of that and, and giving a defense to the idea that we're talking about film
0: yeah that's something else that i get into in the introduction and that's the part of me that's also more about language than than the medium because as you say i think there's no real re- real way to distinguish between film and television anymore and yet we still know when to use the word movie or film and when not to right there is something we mean by it and that was part of what i wanted us to get at
1: yeah it's going to be interesting as time goes on with that because um we know especially the pandemic definitely changed the way a lot of folks were were reviewing media or watching film oh yes and it still hasn't changed you know depending and a lot of it depends on where you live too i'm in a small town where, you know that's right i'm in ashland kentucky and we have you know one two movie theaters nearby and they tend to show the same films and getting to see something somewhat unusual uh can be tricky and so i depend a lot on streaming and and the stuff that I can access um, yeah. easily, and unfortunately, that often makes a difference as far as viewing. Uh, oh,
0: I, I'm, I'm the same way entirely. I, I don't really love leaving the house, so it's great. I, I'm much happier to watch things at home under my control. And I have a lot of friends who swear by the cinema, and they, you know, are very devoted to going to the cinema. And they talk a lot about distraction and how you know. At the cinema you're not distracted at home you have distractions and i'm just the opposite way entirely when i feel like in my own space and i'm safe at home i can give all of my focus to the film in public like i'm i'm you know i'm mad that someone's on their phone in the next row right and i'm like people are like walking up and down and i'm just i'm completely distracted in the theater i don't understand that argument at all
1: well and the other thing is if you've got good if if you care enough that you have decent equipment you know technology and equipment right you can make it better because frankly like i said before there's only a couple of there's one real chain movie theater near us and it's got 10 screens and of course it shows three movies total so you can figure that one out or four and um it's not necessarily what i would consider be particularly good projection the screens seem dark mm-hmm. to me yeah. i've never gotten over the switch to all digital I'm um, call me a you know a, whatever you want to call me about that but i mean i i don't like digital filming uh digital projection that much in in theaters unless it's done perfectly in a lot of places don't seem to care that much, so I can actually get a better presentation at home. But the problem is actually being able to get to the material. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. things are being released digitally much quicker, but uh, uh, you know, outside of the the theaters, quicker. But it still takes time, and you hear I hear about films and. I say, I really want to see that. I says, I wonder how long it's going to be before I get a chance to see it. I mean, yeah, you know,
0: I know that. I know that feeling
1: very well. I mean, I've, I'm unfortunately the title. I've been wait, trying to get the title back into my head. Is that the film Tar? Um, uh, Cate Blanchett's, yeah. I, w- I really want to see that film, but I know it's Top not going sh- to, I know I'm not, it's not going to be at the theater here in, in Ashland. So I'm going to yeah, have to wait for it. Boom. I'll have to wait for it to appear someplace so, uh, that I can actually see it. But anyway, uh, we're getting off on it, but it does talk about the media matters and, and, and so,
0: so then, uh, I'll say, okay, let me say one more thing, sure. which is that. That we, we can say that, the, you know, the erosion between film and television is happening and, and agree with it. But at the same time, like, don't we all essentially roll our eyes when people say Twin Peaks The Return is, a, is an 18-hour movie or whatever? I mean, like, right. it's
1: just, oh, yeah. It's also, like, it's no I'm sorry. Thing. There's no such thing as an 18-hour movie. You would never show it as an 18-hour movie. It's made of
0: episodes. It's made of episodes.
1: Right. I mean, that's <laughs> you know? the whole idea. Because it, it has to be set up that way because yeah. it's shown that way. I mean, there is difference between episodic and all and and through. And yeah. that that's it. I mean, you can't I mean, yeah, we can we can take a look at a film, you know, a blockbuster from back in the day, the 3-hour blockbusters like Ben-Hur and those films, but there's still one story and it's not meant to be broken up. It's meant to be shown in its complete right. in, in its entirety. And even if there's an intermission or even if there's breaks, it still comes down to the fact that of course, these days it seems like the yeah. intermission has disappeared. We now see three-hour films, and the- that's another reason, <laughs> by the way, about going to the theaters. That's a good point too. If you tell me I'm going to be a three-hour film and I'm going to the theater, I'm could be in trouble. So, <laughs> but I mean, it's that kind of thing where um, there we, there luckily is a pretty good way that you can still differentiate. Even things that are on Netflix, you know which are films and which aren't, which aren't, That's even right. though you're watching right. them all on quote unquote television. So, exactly. So then, in the second section, film theories, yeah, film theories, project of emancipation. Um. You're trying to uh, the 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 phrase the phrase you use in the introduction, unlearned ways of seeing and hearing movies and thinking about cinema. What was your your hope? with with those essays. Well,
0: I take that phrase project of emancipation from an essay by Karen Ear called Ideology Critique 2.0 and I really like this essay. Um she's a brilliant literary scholar um, and cultural theorist and she really you know ideology critique 2.0 is really taking a lot of scholars to task for kind of offering up arguments that they know everyone agrees with so that in effect they're generating propaganda as she puts it. Um so you know writing to an academic audience now and saying um you know don't be misogynist or something like it's 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 kind of like you know you one sort of assumes a somewhat liberal readership already and um so that that we need to find new ways but it's not as though these projects are finished or completed right so we need to stop repeating the same ways of doing them and try and find new ways of achieving these these goals for for race class gender sexuality ability etc um so uh victor von is, is his essay on buddhism and film theory um was i think it, it's it's great for getting us to think beyond the kind of typical euro-american uh imperialist geographical boundaries of film theory um so that and that's interesting. I, I mentioned um, Maggie's essay already about.
1: the. Yeah, I think I've interviewed Maggie there. three different times about three different ah. projects. And, you know, luckily, she's in the middle of a worldwide tour of the world with her with the DVD set that she and worked worked with with a number of other scholars. So about feminists, about uh
0: cinema's uh, nasty, nasty nasty women, women right nasty
1: women yeah uh I, I, so I, I, so i don't think she's got time to write anything else right this minute although she'd probably oh, tell me she'd probably tell me she's working on three or four other things right now but anyway um, and she'll finish them soon um she's she's amazing
0: uh nico baumbach um his essay on film theory as ideology critique after trump and really kind of reckoning with the the sharp divide in the culture wars um, after after Trump and how do we move forward in that conversation. Uh, I mentioned Noah Eisenberg's chapter on vernacular criticism. And then finally in that section, Kara Keeling has a chapter about cinematic black feminist theory um, using three different films directed by um, black filmmakers, Daughters of the Dust, Eve's Bayou, and Mississippi Damned. And that's that's also a, a really rich, rich essay.
1: I think uh, that is one of the positives of our uh, that we now have this blown-up way of sharing material that we now are able to not only see material like, for example, the what you talked about Victor Fahn's essay. We, we it's easier to see some of the films because they're being released in an easier way and cheaper way, so we get a chance to see them that. Years and years ago, we probably would never get a chance, or it'd be very difficult. But in the same way, uh, there's also the ability for some of the the folks that you talk about and and some of the concepts to appear because there's a need for them to. How do we put this fill up space to an extent too? Uh, well, yeah, and, I mean, and the I... good thing is, is that uh, like I say, you may have to do a deep dive sometimes, but it's useful that they're there to help us uh, better understand to, to get to things other than the most obvious fair that's out there
0: i agree and that's part of the the way that theory needs history and history needs theory right we, we need to be able to see these films it's it's funny that we're at a moment in film studies where the kind of most cutting edge work is being done on rediscovering films in the 1910s. you know it's like that's the kind of the future is 1910. Um, but that, that's you know like the cinema's first nasty women set um, the the work that that Allie Field Jackie Stewart are, people are doing to recover black films from the nineteen tens nineteen twenties it's all it's all super fascinating
1: yeah and, and and as you point out that that's the the past there's still so much and uh, probably my favorite books that i usually review or do interviews with film related are things that do have a historical bent to them and, and i really like learning more about it. and even though in many cases especially some of these uh, films and you know we're lucky if we have only a few frames or a few bits and pieces right. but right. it helps to uh put the whole concept together and and understanding the importance of them and and, and the work that was done that People nowadays can look back and even if they don't mean it you know they don't come right on and say this is why you know this was part of my idea uh, it's still there as part of the the history part of, uh, of film mm-hmm. so then section 3 apparatus and perception now we're getting the next two chapters as you pointed out are, are now are into the more how do we put this physical aspect of filmmaking uh, and film projection yeah, and that's right. an important part. I mean, it's easy to say to just think about, you know, story and even cinematography to an extent and camera shots and such. But um, the concepts of that, the requirements and, and 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 so apparatus. So one is more or less creation, and the other is um, projection, for lack of a better way of putting it, or presentation. It's a combination. Those two chapters more or less talk about the two sides. And, in fact, you have a, a essay of your own in the Section 3 Apparatus and Perception that you talk about headphones, cinema, cinematic listening, and the frame of the skull, which I suspect I know. I didn't get a chance to read it closely, but I suspect based on your uh, concepts related to your talk about sound, I would think that that was your way of you know, giving that an important view in 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 the uh in the discussion
0: yeah um i i'm 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 excited for people to finally read this chapter which i wrote so long ago and it's part of one of the book projects that i'm working on but i am very interested in headphones um not so much as a technology like i don't you know i i am learning about the differences between binaural headphones and other things but it's not about um the practical aspects of of headphones, like I, I sort of have a kind of ideal headphone set in mind when I'm thinking about the ways that this technology changes our perception of movies. And really, I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing a very old tried and true kind of method in film studies, which is, you know, the how the spectator how the viewer is aligned, like people write, have written very, very much about the, you know, if if the audience member is aligned with the camera. Or with a certain kind of character right like that's that's at the heart of laura melby's essay on the male gaze um that's at the heart of christian metz's work that's at the heart of you know daniel morgan's recent book he's got a great book about camera movement and agency and and our ability to kind of negotiate sort of how we see the cinematic world um so i think it matters this kind of identification matters um and i think that the experience of going to the movies or even you know, if you have a home speaker system or something, the experience of having the sound be all around you and you're immersed in the sound is so very different than feeling like the sound is in, is inside your head, right? And I think it's really interesting to, to think about how that changes the medium and how it changes our experience of movies. So, you know, for example, at the beginning of the piano, the character says like, this is the voice of my mind, right? And if it's, if you're hearing it, where you usually feel like your conscious voice is, that's a very different kind of alignment with the character than would happen in the traditional theatrical space. So I'm really interested in the ways that headphones can alter our experience of older films. Um so that like movies about subjectivity, um, like person sort of movies like the piano, um, tend to take on a more even, I think, an even more personal um quality to them and and i'm I'm really interested in this idea that that sound can occupy the space of consciousness uh in that in that sort of paradoxical way that that the sound of our own conscious minds isn't a sound at all but it is a sound so we sort of experience it and we don't and but also i think that there are directors like lynn ramsey um making movies today morvern collar has headphones very very centrally but even you were never really there with Walking phoenix i think it, the, the ways that she's constantly asking us to think about the sort of the skull itself and and when is the skull being kind of cracked open or not and these really really interesting sound designs um i think that there are a lot of a lot of directors that are conscious that their films will be experienced with headphones and 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 also i recover tradition i mean sound designers use headphones right and the original uh the original sound designers in hollywood wore headphones like there's a it's it's not it's not not the original vision of movies right I can see a future where because audiences talk to each other, et cetera, that even in a movie theater, you know you might go see the big screen and then Bluetooth connects your headphones, right? So that you can control the volume, you don't hear your neighbors, et cetera, et cetera. I just but I, I think headphones are absolutely fascinating. And I never thought of myself as someone interested in technology at all, but I really that I am interested in experience and and perception. and I think that, that's a huge shift.
1: Well, and and that's a lot of what you're talking about in these in these two sections and one one of the things I can talk about is related to it is back in the 70s and we're talking about when you know mainstream jaws and then followed by star wars and the blockbusters Mm. we had directors particularly lucas but other directors who became very conscious of how their films were being shown in the theaters and Mm. became much more um they cared enough or at least they showed the interest enough that they had expectations of how their films were going to be shown and uh you know, that's where the THX sound system, not just sound system, THX system first came out of the idea of trying to have a good quality, a great quality setup so that when these films were shown, they had a reasonable possibility that they were going to be similar, if not identical to the way the directors intended them to be shown. And nowadays we're actually, that's easier said than done now, partly because of the ability to, uh, um, control much more in in, in, in a uh, home setting but also things like headphones and this goes back to something you said before about people preferring to go to the theater, headphones will actually keep you, to me it's my experience, they will keep you from being distracted even if you're at home you're not going to be looking at your phone you're not going to be checking in on other things because the headphones just give you that immersiveness that makes it almost impossible to get uh, distracted by something else.
0: That's interesting, yeah. The moment you're talking about in the late 70s, I think that so many things can be traced back to that, The well, just the, the volume, so that when you're in the theater, you can feel the vibrations in your feet or the seat even rumbles during these explosions and, and bass notes in the score. Um, but also this idea that with the bigger screen, you need louder sound, the idea that, that like IMAX needs to be loud, louder is something that I find. Some people seem to find this intuitively correct that the larger the screen, the louder the sound should be. I do I do not find this to be so. Um, I my favorite anecdote about this is Christopher Nolan requiring Dunkirk be shown when it was shown on on celluloid at a certain decibel level, which was like just below the threshold of causing irreparable damage to human ears, right? And it was just so so loud, and. Um, there's a great Vanity Fair article that veterans who were at the event said that the movie was louder than the event itself.
1: Well, the other problem with Christopher Nolan is is and, and I, I think he is a, is a visionary in many ways, but his insistence that dialogue's not that important sometimes can drive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's one of the few directors where I could truthfully say, if I'm at home, I probably turn closed captioning on at least for one viewing of a film just to make sure I didn't miss anything. and, Absolutely. He doesn't seem to care. I mean, it's it's one of those complaints people have about his. Um, but part of it also is, and this goes back to when you're in the theater, you're somewhat dependent on however it's set up and whether it uh, uh, whether it works for for your ability. Um, then the section how close is close reading, and I'll be honest, close reading is something that I find in particularly interesting. I've done a number of interviews with people. In fact, I just did one. Um, recently, and uh, it should be out reasonably soon. Uh, close reading, I think, can be incredibly interesting, to me at least. I think the concept of close reading of a film is uh, very, very interesting, and so I'm glad that uh, you made sure to talk about that, particularly, in, as you point out in some of the essays, uh, as they are in views of particular groups of films, as and you specifically have ones about women and black films and and others where uh, close reading and talk a little bit about uh, the concept and, and your feeling about its importance.
0: Oh, I think it's it's wildly important. I mean, I think that that's when we talk about media literacy, we can mean many, many things. But what I mean by it is that if you watch a whole film, you should be exhausted at the end of it because you should be trying to think about, every formal element in relationship to each other. And that that's quite that's quite difficult to do. Um, and so sometimes, yes, you need to go back and you to you need to look closely and and I think generously. I think close reading is such a a loving thing to do for a movie. It's it's not the kind of paranoid position of is this going to offend me? It's it's how much how much meaning can I find here? Or I need to know in what way exactly it is maybe ideologically nefarious um you know I, I I agree with you that it's super fascinating that's why there's six chapters in this section um that I found people really were were excited about this this topic um Amy Varejo's chapter about where and when and where does a film begin and how do we put films in context um she's also talking about black films too and the kind of knowledge that one needs to bring um, to certain kinds of films right so how do we even begin this question of of close reading what do you need to to do? or to, to have, to be a good, close reader. Um, Caitlin Benson, Alex's chapter is somewhat similar. Black film and post-cinematic spectatorship. Um, Timothy Corrigan really taking up very uh, aged questions, philosophical questions about the nature of description and and, re- and thinking about that again, and, and kind of like the, the work that description itself does um, and the critic being responsible for, for that. Uh, Adrian Martin's chapter, is a wonderful. Uh, I, I really. Um, I'm. I'm such a fan of his chapter, "Standing Up Too Close or Back Too Far," a slanted history of close analysis, close film analysis. He really gives so many different examples and different uh, uh, scales of reading that he really grapples with this question of how close is close reading, very, very explicitly. It's it's a fascinating read. I'm also a huge fan of Marketa Olirova's chapter, "When Fashion Meets Cinema," where she's you know it's it's a wonderful kind of question of like so you know I mean we can think of like rear window or something with these clothes you know that it's like it's is this fashion or is this a costume right is it both is the is the costume sort of performing fashion is the fashion kind of performing costume and she develops this this concept of just sort of clothes as a third term to kind of negotiate some of this idea that that these uh these garments could be performative in some way it's it's really fun
1: as a matter of fact i went back and checked the um person i just interviewed then that episode's going to be out in a few weeks based on our calendar um it's diane negra she did a close reading of hitchcock's shadow of a doubt and we had a great discussion about so many of these concepts related to close reading and And we spent a good part of time discussing that even though the film was made during—it's Hitchcock's 1942 or 3, I don't remember now off the top of my head, but it was filmed during World War II, and it was—theoretically, that was the time period the film takes place. But it's not overt. It's not Mm. like Saboteur, where it's— specifically mm-hmm. war related it's going on but we don't see it clearly and and in discussing uh, the film we talked a little bit about how it's there it's just not as obvious as some other films and it just became to me such a great way of discussing a film in that kind of detail that I think makes uh, close reading so interesting and so much you can learn about film just by close reading specific mm-hmm. films and yeah and, and I just find the concept it, it, to me, it's just such an important role of of writing, as far as uh, film, books, and film writing.
0: I agree. It's also one of the places that you know pleasure happens. Right? Like they they can be very pleasurable to read. They can be very pleasurable to write. They're pleasurable to do in the classroom with students. And Hitchcock is so great for close reading. I mean, I. I often say about Hitchcock that he's more fun to interpret than to actually watch. I mean, I think one of the reasons that we all teach Hitchcock or many of us teach Hitchcock or have historically taught Hitchcock is because he just generates such good classroom discussion. There's a shot and shadow of a doubt that every time I teach it, we'll have a good 15 to 20 minute discussion on just this one single shot, right? Or or the way that he alternates between realism and artifice and other movies. I mean, it's just, it's, just, it, it's so rich to, and, and just invites you to sort of pick it apart closely, right? Well, that's
1: it. Any book on close reading, any kind of close reading article, it just wants you, you, you just want to watch the film over and over again now, right, afterwards, right. after both before and after. And it's just unbelievable what close reading does to help you with things like film theory and also yeah. some of the other issues. So then the last section of the book, The Turn to Experience, of course, obviously you're closing out the the book but uh what was uh, how did you feel was the best way to with this section dealing with uh ending the book
0: well because i felt you know we were coming off there a a great many discussions over the last several years about affect and the i mean the turn to affect goes back a couple of decades ruth lays gave us that phrase many years ago now but it was really taking hold. Partly in the the Deleuzean side of film and philosophy, affect was was a central concept. Um, Eugenie Brinkham's book, The Forms of the Affects, made a huge splash. And uh I I I wanted to both kind of take account of that important moment in film theory, but also try and not rehash it again, right? And to think about okay, so how are we going to continue to use this term affect? I didn't want to have a, a cognitive psychological. Uh, approach um in in the volume because i don't know that as theorists we're often qualified to understand the psychological side of things um but at the same time i also saw that the the way that people were less anxious about the shift to digital um meant sort of a return to experience rather than a return to thinking about the materiality of film and i thought that that was a way of kind of introducing more like allowing for affording for some very very smart people to write kind of interventions into into the contemporary moment of film theory
1: as i say uh, in going through the collection and obviously i read some of it more so than others but i mean i sampled everything but I know which parts I'm going back to for more detail, uh, and which one, you know, I definitely want to, to continue to write, read some of the, more of these essays. And I, and I think in that sense, the, of all, you know, the collection definitely did its job, which was to give you places to think more on topics and more, just as importantly, new ways, uh, which is not, never a bad thing when you can come up with new ways to think about something. So in that sense, so. but, uh, but having lived with this for as long as you did, I'm glad, I'm sure, sure you're glad it's out and it's I done. I'm very,
0: very, <laughs> very glad. I'm very glad for it to be in the world. Absolutely.
1: Well, uh, as I say, I found it to be just a, a great, uh, section, you know, a great book in and of itself. And, and some of these essays, it, you know i can see easily using them in in various how they'd be useful in various settings so you had indicated now of course you've you've since moved on thankfully as you can you know it's time to to move on and now with uh, things the way they are but uh, it sounds like you've still got a number of projects in mind going forward
0: i do i do yeah well,
1: i hope uh um it doesn't take as long from now <laughs> going forward. I mean, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, again. no more pandemics will help with that. So, that well, will definitely help. Kyle, I was very glad we were able to talk. We had to reschedule a couple things, a couple times, but we were able to put it together. Um, I really think that academics, in particular, but students, uh, people, and 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 anybody who considers themselves to be a th- a, a serious film viewer and or uh has shown interest will find useful material in this collection to help them better understand particularly in the 21st century which is what your main goal was from the very beginning to try to talk about uh the modern film a, a, as as we have it now so that's right uh i hope uh, that uh, you felt that the project did what you hoped it did and i hope the reaction's been well from people who uh who have looked at it who have i don't know whether you've gotten any feedback from anyone about parts of it
0: no you're we're at the cutting edge here it's i think it starts shipping next week
1: okay good then we're then we're right on time which is good because i know i know you it actually the the pre-orders went out a month ago so uh that's right Uh, The good thing is, is now there are other words, and I guess uh, so that should be good. And anyway, um, thank you for joining me. I'm glad we were able to talk about it, and I hope things continue to go well for you and that uh, you continue to find the ways to uh, discuss those topics that you brought up in this book uh, going forward. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for the invitation. This This was wonderful.
1: A great thanks to Kyle Stevens for his time. This is an important collection for academic and professional aspects of 21st century film. This is Joel Cherney, and I will be back soon with more New Books in Film, a podcast series on the New Books Network.